Well, good morning. A recent LifeWay survey found that 57% of Americans, at least once a month, wonder how they can have more purpose and meaning in their life. And that really rings true because I think, uh, at, even if it's not at least once a month, there's uh, all of us at some time in our life we think that is, what am I living for? Is there more to life than what I'm doing? Is there more to, is my story going to be, all right, I live 80 years, I, I achieved the American dream, live 80 years, 2.5 kids, house, my favorite champion, my favorite team wins a championship, but then so what, right? Life is over, my story is forgotten, is there more to life? than my little story. And the thing is, is our culture, our society tells us to, to live for us. It's all about me. You be you. You're, we we're told that all of our meaning is found in ourselves, and because of that, our stories are so small that we wonder, is there more to life than this? But what if there is a story bigger than your own? What if there is a God who invites you to know him and be part of his plan, his purposes, his bigger story? Well, if that's true, then that would mean that there, are, there is a bigger purpose. There is a bigger story to life. And a man named Matthew 2,000 years ago, he wrote about this bigger story. He wrote about God's story and how Jesus was the culmination of this story. He was the climax. He was the one that all previous chapters that were written in God's story, God's love story between him and his people, that he was the one who would fulfill all things. Now this Matthew, we're going to look at what he says the next several months as we go through this Gospel of Matthew, because he tells the story of Jesus, which is really God's story, and how through Jesus we can be brought up into God's story, and how even Matthew, a tax collector, an outcast in his own society, how his story was brought up into that larger purpose and story of God. That's what we're going to look at. We're starting this new series in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. So what is a gospel? What, what is, if you're new to Christianity or you haven't read your Bible much, you know, you're thinking, all right, Matthew, I think I've heard of him. Who is this guy? Well, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. So the, in the Bible, there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. So if you turn to the New Testament, the very first book is the book of Matthew. And it is called a gospel. What is a gospel? A gospel is a, um, a narrative of Jesus, his teachings, his life, and his death. And there's four of them. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew is the first one in our Bible. And who is this guy? Who was Matthew? Well, Matthew was one of Jesus' inner 12 disciples, well, his followers, his apostles. And he was called to follow Jesus in the midst of him being a tax collector. 
which is very interesting because most of the, the, his, his Jewish brothers and sisters would have considered Matthew or would have tried to outcast him because tax collectors, they didn't just take your money, they took your money for the Roman Empire. And the Romans were oppressing the Jewish people at this time. So Matthew was an outcast. He was considered a traitor to his people. But yet Jesus, as we'll see, he comes into his life and says, follow me. And it totally changes Matthew's story. Now, one of the things that's interesting as we go and we see, all right, Matthew is telling the story of Jesus, we'll, um, we'll see some very interesting things. Like uh, Matthew is called Levi. His name is Levi in all the other Gospels. But in the Gospel of Matthew in 9.9, he says, Matthew, who's called Levi? Could this alternative name be a personal touch from Matthew saying, yeah, this is my writing. So why? Why did Matthew tell this story? It's not just because he had a story to tell because his own life had been changed. I think the purpose that he was, one of the purposes he was writing for was that Matthew, he knew what it was like to be an outcast. Right? He had been outcast. He's been cast out of his people for a long time. But now that he was a Christian, he also knew some of his brothers and sisters who were also Christians, they were also being cast out. Because at this time, when Matthew wrote, you know, 70, 80 AD or so, um, when Christianity started out, most people considered Christianity just as sort of a, a sect of Judaism. All right, well, they're, they're Jews, but they think that this Jesus is the Messiah. But then as the first century went along, um, the Christians started to get cast out of the synagogues. So Matthew, he is writing from a Jewish perspective to also strengthen his brothers and sisters who are feeling like outcasts. So he's writing this story to say, I want to give you the a testimony, an eyewitness testimony uh, to strengthen you so that you know that your faith in Jesus is well-founded and he is the one we've been waiting for. He is the culmination of the story of our people. So say, stay strong in your faith and continue to share your faith. Continue to make disciples of all nations. We'll see that at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So he's writing this because he knows what it's like to be an outcast. So he wants to tell his people to stay strong. And one of the things, one of the reasons I say this, whereas is that Matthew seems to be writing for a, a Jewish audience, uh, some uh, Christians who are really steeped in Jewish tradition, because he constantly is referring to the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, constantly showing how this Jesus fulfills all that they had been expecting. And so it is at the beginning of Matthew's gospel as well. He introduces in verse 1 this Jesus in a, a way that was very important to Jewish thinking but to us seems kind of strange. And in fact, to us, we usually just skip this portion altogether, but we're not gonna skip it. <laughs> because that's what, an, that's what this series is about. It's about going through this gospel in context. So let me start 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. This is how Matthew starts his story. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, for us, we might just think, oh, interesting. But before we go any further, this is an amazing claim. See, we've probably heard the term Jesus Christ so many times that we might think that Christ is his last name. But no, Christ is a title. So right from the get-go, Matthew is saying, I want to tell you about this Jesus who is the Christ. Now, what is a Christ? Christ is the Messiah, the Savior that uh, the Jewish people were waiting for who would bring salvation not just to them but to the world. And he was called Messiah. And in the Hebrew language, it's Messiah. And in the Greek language, it's Christ. So right from the get-go, Matthew is saying, I want to tell you about this Jesus. He is the one we've been waiting for. He's the Christ. And then he goes on to say, you know, who's the son of David, the son of Abraham? So he's an ancestor of David. He's an ancestor of Abraham, which has to be the case because the one they had been waiting for, all previous stories, all previous chapters of this story said that the one we're waiting for, this Messiah who's set apart, he's going to be a descendant of Abraham, but he's also going to be a descendant of King David. And then the rest here uh, that Matthew says, he's laying it out. He's laying out this ancestry. So verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Have you zoned out yet? <laughs> yeah, the, I think the only people who aren't sort of zoning out would be maybe Jonathan and Olivia because they're looking for baby names, right? <laughs> so there's some, there's some good ones here, like Abinadab. I think that would, that would be a nice one. <laughs> well, let's continue. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiod, and Abiod, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliod, and Eliod, the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. 
Now, you've noticed that in the last couple of weeks, we've had scripture readers, but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to ask anyone to do that one. I'll just do that one myself. Otherwise, when I ask people, they're going to be like, no, I don't want to read the scripture. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, then you might be thinking, yeah, I don't even know any of these people. That's just a random list of names to me. But even if you are familiar with the Bible, you've been a Christian for a long time, again, we often just skip this introduction to Matthew's gospel, and we go right to the Christmas stuff, right? The birth of Jesus, because this stuff's boring. But Matthew, he is starting his gospel in a very Jewish way. He's starting his story about Jesus with an origin story, right? Um, Meaning that all these superhero movies that are out, they always have, they can't just make one. They always have to be like three of them for each superhero. But always one of the superheroes is, it, it talks about the origins. Like, where did this superhero come from? This birth and all of this. And that's a way that, you know, we often think of it, birth and all that. But in the Jewish context, you can't, you can't talk about someone's origin unless you talk about ancestry. And, you know, when uh, Olivia talked about culture uh, a couple of weeks ago, like, this is a good example. For us, we skip over this and we're like, yeah, what, whatever. But for the, for the Jewish people, no, no, this, this is like taking the whole story of the people of Israel and summarizing it in a genealogy. So that when they read this, they see the story of their people. They see the the people, their ancestors, who God dealt with. And each one of these names has their own story. And each one of these names connects to what God is doing. So whereas we're like, yeah, let's skip over that. The Jewish people, they would be like, wow, you're serious. This, this Jesus, he's the son of David, he's the son of Abraham, could he be the one? Could he be that Messiah, that Christ, like you're, you're stating? Because this all adds up. And that's, what, that's why Matthew, he starts, is, I'm telling you about the Christ, this Jesus, his story. And so he, he's showing this ancestry because it supports that radical claim. This Jesus who you heard about, He's the Christ. He's the Savior. And he fits perfectly into God's bigger story, his bigger plan. And I'm showing that to you through this ancestry. That, and so this, again, this genealogy, it's not just a list of names. It represents the history of Israel in concentrated form. It represents the story of God and his people. And so the origin of Jesus Christ begins with the origin of the father of the Jewish people, Abraham. That's why he starts with Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish people. Jesus, the Messiah, he is an Israelite, Abraham's descendant. And therefore, he is the one who will fulfill the promises to Abraham. Because God made all sorts of promises to Abraham and a part that all the world would be blessed through him. So, of course, the Messiah would come be a descendant of Abraham. Abraham. So where we see a boring list of names, Jewish readers would see, no, this is a a summary chapter, almost a table of contents between God and his people, that story. So yes, it starts out with the book of the genealogy of the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, he has to be a descendant of Abraham, but really what takes... The most emphasis here in this genealogy is that he is, Jesus is especially a descendant of King David. 
Jesus is David's descendant, and, and therefore he is of royal descent. He is just as the Messiah was to be a descendant of David. So who is David? You might, again, I'm throwing these names out, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might be like, I don't know many of these people. I kind of just described Abraham. But David, he was a king. He was sort of the, the king par excellence in Israel around 1000 B.C., and God gave David promises that you will have, one of your descendants will be on my throne forever. So that when the Jewish people are thinking about the Savior and the one who would rule for God, he would have to be a descendant of David, right? And so this genealogy goes through great pains to emphasize that Jesus is the son of David. And as we'll go through the Gospel of Matthew, we'll also notice that that is a special emphasis of Matthew, that Jesus is the son of David. And in fact, when you compare the gospels, sometimes there's the same, the same narrative, the same story in different gospels. Um, when you read it in, in Mark or, or Luke, it's one way, but then in Matthew, he makes sure that he includes the, the phrase son of David because he, that's one of his points of emphasis. That Jesus, this Jesus is the son of David, the one we've been waiting for. But not only that, notice in verse 1, when he starts out, he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, why does he list David first? I mean, Abraham comes first, right? He goes Abraham, and then there's 14 generations to David. Why does he list David first? Emphasis. Again, he wants to really point out this fact. And not only that, but... Do you notice in verse 17, when he's summing up this genealogy, he talks about 14 a lot? You know, all the generations, 14 generations here, 14 generations. What's the deal with that? Well, in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. And so, you know, this is seven times two. So Jesus perfectly fits. He perfectly completes God's plan. That's one thing that could be going on. But also, in Hebrew, the numeric value for David is 14. And so, I think Matthew is saying that with this 14, 14, 14, 14, he's saying, yes, he is the one that we are expecting, the son of David. And that's what he kind of lays out. So, this genealogy, it puts Jesus at the center of Israel's history. He is Abraham's son. He is the royal Messiah, and therefore he bears all of those messianic hopes right in accordance with God's plan. That's why verse 17 sums things up, right? From, so so the gener all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, from David to the deportation, 14, from deportation to Christ, 14. So again, whereas we skip over this, this, the fundamental affirmation of this genealogy is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who all of God's story points towards. He is the one who will write new chapters in God's story, his story, his love story between God and, and his people. Now, for the Bible nerds, um, I know there's a couple of Bible nerds out there. I like you. I relate to you. Um, you might be thinking, okay, well, you know, when I compare Matthew's genealogy to the one in Luke, because Luke also has a genealogy, they're different. Why is that? 
most likely explanation is that um, Matthew is, is tracing Jesus' genealogy, his legal genealogy, through Joseph, whereas Luke is tracing it through Mary. But either way, as we see here, that uh, in Jewish genealogies, you don't necessarily have to list every single person. Like, you can skip generations. And, and, um, and here, Matthew is arranging things to show you that, no, this Jesus, it all lines up. The 14s, it lines up that Jesus is the son of David. Now, is that all we can get from this genealogy? Yes, we might think that's all we can get from it. Uh, okay, so uh, maybe appreciate it a little bit more, but maybe I'll skip over it. But wait, if you do that, you might also miss another thing. Again, in our sort of ethnocentrism of like, oh, our culture is all what it's about, we miss this Jewish emphasis, and we miss, all right, this is a very important type of writing, and we might miss that, wait a minute, there's something else different going on in Matthew's genealogy than what I would expect, something unusual. And that is he lists five women. I don't know if you noticed that. And maybe because all the names are weird, you're like, oh, I don't know that was a woman's name. <laughs> uh, but put that, yes. So women he lists. There's, there's Tamar, there's Rahab, there's Ruth, there's the wife of Uriah, and there's Mary. Now, you don't need to list these. And, and in fact, if you took those names out, it wouldn't make any difference because you always traced the genealogy through the men. It didn't matter who necessarily the, the woman, which the mother was, but yet Matthew includes five women. What's, what, is all of the, what do all five of these women have in common? Well, they're all kind of shady. <laughs> so Rahab, she was a prostitute. And she wasn't even Jewish. Tamar, well, she was Jewish, but she pretended to be a prostitute. Ruth, she was great, but she wasn't, she wasn't an Israelite. She was, uh, she was from Moab. And then the wife of Uriah, well, that, she was Uriah's wife before David had Uriah killed and took her as wife. So all five of these women, they, they are... Shady circumstances. And yet, these women were a part of a royal lineage. God used them in his plan, despite many questioning their legitimacy, many questioning that, oh, well, you know, they can't be a part of God's plan because she was a prostitute and she's not even a, she's not even a, a, a Jew. And yet she's in David's royal line. Interesting. I also think that uh, um, Matthew includes these women also because the last woman in the list, Mary. As um, at Christmas time, when we go back to the, the, the Christmas stories, one thing that Matthew emphasizes that Luke doesn't is when Joseph heard that Mary was pregnant... He was going to divorce her, right? Because he, like all other people knew, like, wait, she's, I, we're not married yet. And she's having a baby. It's not my baby. This baby's illegitimate. And one of the things that people would claim, especially from Jewish backgrounds, they would say, no, this Jesus, he's illegitimate. This Mary, she's 
You know, she, she couldn't be, give birth to the Messiah. And I think why Matthew includes this, uh, and then he goes on to say, no, Mary was a virgin, and that fulfills prophecy. But even if you've heard the rumors, or even if you're not sure about that, so what? In that, God, a part of God's plan, a part of his story is that he uses marginalized people. He uses people that some people question their background, and yet he still includes them in what he's doing. Again, Matthew goes on to show that, no, Mary was a virgin. But nonetheless, whether you've heard the stories or not, God, his story is bigger than our sin. His story is bigger than our circumstances. Not only that, but I think perhaps in these women, Matthew sees a part of his own story. And that, well, these women were considered shady and um, they were marginalized they were women they were prostitutes all of this and I think Matthew might see a part of his own story and that he was an outcast tax collector people said to Matthew like oh or they would see Matthew and say well you you're a traitor you're a traitor to the Jewish people you you helped the Romans and you collected taxes so God can't use you well no God did use Matthew just as he used Rahab and Tamar and Ruth Bathsheba. Jesus is the one. This is Matthew's, in this genealogy, Matthew's saying Jesus is the one we hoped for. He is the one who was set apart to fulfill God's grand story and plan. And then Matthew, this tax collector, he is going to go on to describe Jesus' teachings, his life, and his story and that story is bigger than our own. It's a story bigger than Matthew's story. It's a, bigger, a story bigger than the reader's story. And, and they may be having troubles on that day. Again, they may have been outcasts. But Matthew is saying, no, stay strong and continue to follow Jesus because God's story is bigger than anything, any circumstance we might be going through. And he will even bring the difficulties of life into his story, redeem them. That's what happened with Jesus and his shady um, birth story. That's what happened with these women. That's what happened with Matthew, and that is what can happen with you and I. This genealogy, it also fixes Jesus as a human person, a real person in history, in as Jewish way as possible, listing his ancestors. And what I think we can take from that today is that Jesus is not a myth. He is a real person. He came to a real world. He, is, he was flesh and blood Messiah. And we must deal with his real story. So many people in our culture, they don't get this Christianity thing because they think religion is something that we make up, we decide to follow, we choose what we want to follow, what we like. No, Jesus is not a myth. He was a person, and we must deal with him for who he really is, the real Jesus, the flesh and blood Jesus, who was a descendant of all of these people. We can't make Jesus into who we want to be. We have to fit our story into that bigger story. We can't change the big story. We have to submit to it and say, God, yes, I want my little story to be a part of your bigger story. And God says, yes, I invite you into that. But we can't change 
Jesus because Jesus is real. He's not a myth. We can't just uh, mess around with the edges. And that's one of the things this genealogy does. It's like this person was, you know, descended from this person, this person. It's grounded in history. And so, as you can tell, when I say story, I don't mean story as in something that's made up. I mean a, a, a story as in I'm telling you what happened. So we fit our small story into Jesus. And each name, each name on this list of you know, the random names we just read, they all had their own story too. And yet God fit them into his grand plan. And yes, some of them were kings, like, like King David, He's a hero of the faith. Abraham, a hero of the faith. But just in case you think God can only use heroes and kings and prophets, then he also puts in there Tamar, the woman who pretended to be a prostitute and had her father-in-law impregnate her. What? That's crazy. But yet it shows God's crazy love for us, his crazy ability to redeem even the broken, even the stories that people say, no, we, keep, we don't even talk about her anymore. God says, no, in fact, I was able to take that situation, that crazy broken story and redeem it and make it a part of my story that I'm doing in the world. And he can do that for you and I. Because I know that there's... Really, what we're invited to today is to entrust our story, our small story, to God. Entrust our story into his story. And you might say, you don't know my story. It's, it's one of brokenness. It's, it's one of sin. Well, God's story is bigger than your sin. It's bigger than your brokenness. And he can redeem your story and turn your story into something of a story of redemption, of hope, of eternal life. Entrust your story to him. There might be others here online who are saying, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I've got so many questions. And that's okay. Stick with this series as we go through this series, and you'll hear more of Jesus' story, and then you can become convinced that he is who he said he is. Maybe this genealogy doesn't do it for you. Maybe it doesn't convince you. Well, just hang in there. Questions are okay. There have always been questions, and those didn't stop people from saying, you know what, I'll always have questions in all my life, but I'm going to entrust my life, my story, into God's story. Maybe that's you today. Or there might be some here that say, no, I've got, actually got a good story uh, in the sense that, you know, I've accomplished a lot. Um, you know, I've got the house. I've got the kids. I, my life is really good. But yet there's this gnawing inside of you that says, is this really all there is? Is there more? Is there, is there something more to this story? That is God, that is the Spirit prompting you and saying, so what? If all of your dreams come true, if it's just stuck in this world, then your story is so short, it's so inconsequential, but it doesn't have to be. And God is inviting us, whether we're broken, whether we think we all have it together, to entrust our story into his bigger story.
We're going to see that as through this whole series. Amen. Amen. And so the final amen, though, is some of you might be like, yeah, I did. I entrusted my story into God's story. I believe in him. I believe that my story is a part of the bigger story. What about every page? If you truly have, then every page of your story can be a part of God's bigger purpose. Do you think about that? Did you think about that today when you woke up, that the pa- this page of your story, whatever day it is, whatever, you know, 8,565th day of your life or whatever, and don't check my math, I'm a pastor, not a mathematician, um, that this day, this page of my life, have I consciously entrusted that to God? Or are there certain pages that are off limits, my relationships, my finances, whatever? No, entrust those to God. Whether those parts are broken, whatever you have, those parts too can be redeemed for God. And so whatever the case is, whether it's your life, your whole story, or today, entrust that to God and see what he does. See how he will take your small story and incorporate it into his bigger purpose and story. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful that you give us this invitation of a life with more purpose and meaning, an eternal meaning, eternal purpose. We thank you for sending Jesus to redeem all of our stories, no matter the brokenness. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move about this place, move about the people online, and Lord, you would cause us to, as best as we know how, entrust our story, our lives, into you, your hands, into your bigger story, even though, Lord, we don't know what's that, what's that going to mean, where are you going to take us? But we trust you, Lord. And Lord, for those who know that there's a certain part, certain pages in their life that they're not putting into your hands, Lord, we're going to confess that as we sing this song. We're going to entrust every part of our lives into your hands because you are the one who has redeemed us. Jesus, you are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You are the answer we've been looking for. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.